Welcome to No Finish Line, a podcast with John O'Regan, sponsored by Great Outdoors Dublin. Hello and welcome back to another episode of No Finish Line podcast featuring athlete interviews and discussion on running, training, travelling and adventure. And I'm your host, John O'Regan. In the last episode where I talked about hill training, I'd briefly mentioned the principle of reversibility and that gave me an idea for a follow-up. So in this episode, I'm going to talk about training principles and how they can be applied to our own training. Now, there are many similarities between sports when you think about them from a training point of view, with certain fundamentals remaining the same. Almost all sports will benefit from the athlete being aerobically fit, with speed and power benefiting most athletes. And that speed and power is then expressed in a different in a different way in the different sports. So what are the training principles and what is the purpose? The principles of training help with giving an understanding as to how the body can improve through training. Knowing what they mean helps with getting the most from a training plan by giving an understanding of why the plan is structured in a certain way and with some experience it will help you with compiling your own training plan. Though to begin with, exercise keeps you fit but when you want to improve at your sport then you need to be more specific and structured with the exercise and when you get more specific and structured with the exercise it then becomes training. And this is when it helps to have a basic understanding of the principles of training or training principles. The principles are the principle of specificity, the principle of overload, the principle of adaption, the principle of progression, the principle of variation, the principle of recovery and the principle of reversibility. So how do they all fit in together and more importantly, why do they matter in a training plan? It's not good enough to just know the name of something as you need to have an understanding as to what it means and how it should be employed. You can view the principles individually as I had referenced in a previous podcast to explain something but you will see that they are all part of the same system and cannot be divided into independent parts. The system being the training plan and each part of the system is dependent on the other and each one of them can affect the other that would mean that they are interdependent. So let's take a look at them in more detail. The principle of specificity states that to become better at your chosen sport, then you must train the energy systems and muscles as close as possible to the demands of the sport. That could mean cycling might not be the best way to prepare for running a 5k race. The principle overload states that there must be a gradual increase in training load This is to avoid injury and then leads on to the principle of adaption which states that by repeatedly practicing a skill or activity it becomes easier to perform. That's where the adaption is. Over time then as we apply the principle of overload the body adapts through the overload and adaption to being able to do more and this then becomes the principle of progression. The principle of progression states that with the right measure of overload and adaption we progress. The principle of variation states that we need to vary the training by doing different training sessions and varying the volume and intensity. Keep doing the same thing and you might keep getting the same results. The principle of recovery states that you need to allow or apply the right amount of rest for recovery between sessions. This allows the body time to adapt and prepare for more training 
which in turn leads to more progression. The principle of reversibility states that when we stop practicing the skill or stop doing the training, then the gains will disappear. Rather than going forward, you go in reverse. This can happen after a period of not training because of an injury, from a training break at the end of a season, or from taking too much time off after a race, or you might just have stopped training. So as you will see, the principles are all interdependent, as was mentioned earlier. So let's put them all together now with a practical example to give a bit more understanding. So I'll focus on marathon training. If you were training for a marathon, you will be increasing the length of your long run each weekend. You might start at 10k as your long run and maybe add between 10 and 20% to the length of the long run each weekend until a time comes when you can comfortably run close enough to marathon distance before the actual race. This is applying the principle of overload. Then we have the principle of adaption and this refers to the body's ability to adjust to the increased demands that you're placing upon it. We then have the principle of progression which says that your body will improve its fitness levels and its strength over a period of time as you start to gradually increase the training load and adapt to it. Then we have the principle of reversibility and to put that simply it's like saying that if you don't use it you lose it. Fitness is not something that you can just hold on to. You have to continuously work at it and if you're not training you are going in the opposite direction. You are detraining. If you're not building or maintaining it, you're losing it. If you are following a training plan, then take a look at it and see if you can figure out how it is structured and why it is structured in that way. And by doing things like that, you do get a better understanding and you, you can then see how you can manipulate it to, to fit around your lifestyle. Now let's look at them in a bit more detail and see how they relate to what we do and why having a better understanding helps to make sense of what's happening in the background and how you can steer and manipulate what you're doing to keep the training moving forwards. So we'll start with the principle of specificity, also known as the SAID principle. That's the SAID principle, and that means we have specific adaptions to imposed demands. So what does that mean? And more importantly, how do we apply it or use it? To begin with, the body will always try to get better at what it's doing. So if you want to get better, then you need to spend time practicing what you want to get better at. This getting better is an adaption to make the task easier, more manageable, and in some ways less stressful. As an example, the dominant leg of a footballer will have a stronger and large bone structure than the opposite leg. And in the same way, a tennis player will have one arm stronger than the other. And these adaptions also happen with the muscles, tendons, ligaments, and connective tissue. The limb that is most used becomes a lot stronger because that part of the body system has adapted to the demands of the sport or the activity or it will have adapted to the specific training. Now recently I've been watching The Last Dance on Netflix about Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls. Jordan was one of the greatest basketball players of all time. He retired at one stage during his career and he moved over to start playing baseball. When he started playing baseball, he wasn't a very good baseball player. He was a basketball player trying to play baseball. He did have the basic fundamentals of aerobic and anaerobic fitness, plus speed and power, which we mentioned earlier. And although it was at an elite level, these attributes were not sport-specific. What he had in his basketball didn't necessarily help him when he went over to start playing baseball. 
if you haven't seen the documentary, then I think it would be worth watching. But you need to look at it through the lens of an athlete or a coach. A friend of mine had recommended it to me. And when he asked what I thought of it, it was like we were watching two different shows. He was looking at it for entertainment, but I was viewing it through a different lens. And I was seeing what I was looking for. So for me, it was entertaining and educational. And I will probably watch it again at some stage. Now, you will see from watching the documentary that because of the athlete he was, he knew what his strengths are and he knew what his weaknesses were. And with knowing what his weaknesses were, he was then able to train specifically to bring on a sport-specific adaption. So soon enough, he got good. He got real good. He became a very, very good baseball player. But then he stopped playing baseball and he went back to playing basketball again. And when he started playing basketball again, he wasn't the basketball player that he was previously. He was now a baseball player trying to play basketball. And again, he had to spend time applying the principle of specificity. In one clip, he said, in one clip during the documentary, he said, or maybe it was a personal trainer that said, he now had a baseball player's body. He didn't have the body of a basketball player. So he had to retrain himself to become a basketball player once again. The basketball player has stronger shoulders to help with throwing and stronger legs to help with jumping and that kind of movement. So there were differences because he has shifted from one sport to another. And you can pick out the differences when you look at different sports. He had developed specific adaptions because of the demands of the baseball player. And the principle of reversibility was evident when he returned to basketball. Now all that we've mentioned there is explained through the said principle. There will be specific adaptions to oppose demands. So as well as these examples I've just mentioned, it also refers to more sophisticated and complex adaptions. If you spend hours practicing a particular skill, then the part of the brain responsible for the coordination of the skill-based movement will in the same ways adapt. And that's where we become more skilled with practice. Now this is where you need to be careful when practicing a skill because practice doesn't make perfect. It's perfect practice that makes perfect in some instances it might be worthwhile getting some coaching if you're trying to develop a particular skill as it can be hard to notice the mistakes you make and we don't know what we don't know and if you think that you don't need a coach then i'll refer you back to michael jordan one of the greatest basketball players of all time he needed a coach the chicago bulls needed a coach michael jordan also has his own personal trainer as do the other players and the said principle is also the reason why as a runner Exposing yourself to particular training stresses such as tempo running or repetitions are all essential parts of the improvement process. If you want to get good at trail running, then you need to spend some of your training time on trails. And there's lots of other obvious examples, and they can all make sense when you start to think about them. Chances are you are already applying the principles when they matter, even though you weren't labeling them. An example would be maybe working on your weaknesses would involve you applying the training principles. If you took part in a trail race and you noticed that you were losing positions on an uphill, that might make you want to spend more time training, training your body to get stronger running up a hill or the same could apply downhill where you want to become more skillful as a downhill runner. So how do we do it? How do we apply these training stresses? Well, the training stress must be the right amount and sufficiently specific to ensure it transfers to your sport. Not too much and not too little. In insufficient stress and there's no catalyst for adaption, 
if you apply too much stress then you risk burnout or fatigue or just a fatigue that means you need more recovery work. This can then lead to you losing the adaption opportunity that you've been training for. Now if you are training a particular skill such as downhill running I would think that you will be best to be fairly fresh going into doing that. So with skill based training I would say it's maybe best to do less rather than more because if you're training a skill when you're tired you might not be training the, training the skill as it, as it needs to be trained and you don't want to be training something in a fa- something skillful in a fatigue state because you will be getting the wrong technique. A recent example that I can share is after the first lockdown I was back on the track training with my own group and with the first week of training was quite easy as a reintroduction then the following week we had started to introduce some faster pace running with the introduction of some reps, reps being repetitions. Now nothing as hard as what we had been doing in the last season because of the principle of reversibility. But the pace and the intensity and the duration was enough to know that you had done something. We had all individually kept up our training but because we hadn't been doing track work or speed training for a while it was now something new and that's why we introduced this new training gradually. We had a specific session with just enough stress to hopefully bring on an adaption by ensuring there was enough recovery that would mean progressing and being then able for more volume and overload. In the beginning, it's always best to err on the side of caution, so do a bit less than a little bit more, like what I said when training a skill. It's best to be doing it when you're not in a fatigued state, and the fatigue state can be mental as well as physical. So we started back by introducing the intensity gradually. Then two days after the first training session, we were on the track again. And we didn't have as many down training for the second session. And that's because some of the athletes were feeling too sore after the Monday night session. Now that also includes me with the feeling of feeling sore. I didn't feel fully up to training again, but I had the keys to the track. So I had to be there. I didn't have the same option of, of not turning up. So what happened? They, or should I say I or we were trying our best to match what we had previously been doing. We have a muscle memory and we also have a training memory. We knew what our timings and splits were for running 100 metres and 200 metres and we were trying to match or be close enough to what we had previously been doing and not being mindful of the principle of reversibility. So it's easy to say these things but it's harder to do them. So this is where you have to be focused and disciplined. And because we hadn't been training we had lost some of the ability to do what we could previously do. So that would be the principle of reversibility. We weren't using it, so we were starting to lose it. And now we had to retrain it by reintroducing it. And the way we're going to retrain is we are going to do some specific training with a just manageable load. We would gradually be applying the principle of overload over the coming sessions by increasing the number of reps or the intensity as the weeks goes on. And this in turn will lead to the principle of adaption and then we have the principle of progression. So what happened with those that couldn't train the next session? By doing too much on the first night, which was Monday, that meant that they couldn't rejoin the group training session on the Wednesday. So that meant the training was interrupted or the training plan was interrupted. So they didn't have an opportunity to layer another training session on top of the training that had just been done. And in order to improve, you need to layer the training on top of the training. That's how you build your fitness. You do the training so you can do the training. Remember that. You do the training 
so you can do the training. But if you do too much, you're not going to be sufficiently recovered or have the ability to continue training with quality. So the idea being that you need the training stress to be just the right amount to bring on the training adaption, but not too much that it forces you or it means you need to take too much time off and then you lose the opportunity for adaption. For me, I like to finish a training session knowing that I could do more, but I also have the feeling of relief that the training session is over. Now the Wednesday session, following on from that Monday, would have been a tempo run. This consists of a warm-up for approximately 2 kilometers, followed by a block in the middle of between 4 kilometers to 8 kilometers. And when you finish that particular block in the center, you're glad you're finished, but you still have enough energy and strength to do a cool-down of 2 kilometers. It's not like when you're finishing a race or when you cross over the finish line, all you just want to do is lay down on the ground. You should not be feeling that way. You don't race in training. There's a difference between training and racing and you have to have an understanding of that. There's no point in winning the workout because you are not going to be building and storing your fitness for when it counts. Training is training. So moving on, what is a specific in training? As an example, let's look at a runner. What can a runner do to make improvements by using the principle of specificity? That's the said principle, the SAID principle. So here's an example of how you would encourage a specific adaption by applying an imposed demand. If you use a modern sports watch, I'm using the Garmin 945. Most of my club athletes use something similar. Not all the same, but similar. So Garmin is the one I would be most familiar with. So some of these watches will display cadence as a data field. And with Garmin, if you also use a Run Dynamics heart rate strap or a Run Dynamics pod, then you will also access other metrics such as stride length, ground contact time, left right foot, strike, balance, vertical oscillation. And all these things can be useful to pick up on, on imbalances. And in some cases can help with returning to play following an injury as it will highlight or expose any weakness or imbalance and will let you know if you're compensating by shifting to your more dominant side or if you're losing too much energy by bouncing too much or your stride length is too short or too long. So getting back to this example, so if you can display cadence then let's try this little exercise to get faster by running stronger rather than faster than just trying to run faster. So what's the difference? Well we have stride length and stride frequency. Stride length is the length of the stride you take going from your toe off to your lead foot landing. And stride frequency will be the number of times that your foot actually hits the ground. That's your cadence as well, stride frequency. With running faster, you will be doing the same thing as you were already doing, but taking more footsteps to increase stride frequency. Whereas running stronger, We'll be doing the same thing, but covering more ground with each footstep by increasing the stride length, if that makes sense. So we're running stronger, you should be running more efficiently. So running stronger, you're getting a longer stride length, but you have to be cautious of not overstriding. With running just faster, you're increasing your stride frequency, so that's more steps per minute, rather than more distance per minute. An example there would be if you see a kid walking with an adult, they will both be moving at the same pace, but the kid has to take more steps because of the much smaller stride length. So the kid isn't moving as efficiently as the adult. Now, I know in this example, there's also a difference in height and size. But if you look at a group of runners running, 
you may notice that even for athletes of the same build and height, that there will be a difference in stride frequency. So here's an exercise based on that example. To begin with, ignore your cadence and do a steady pace run made up of two kilometers of a warm-up, then run four kilometers as your steady pace and then two kilometers of a cool down. So you need to isolate the middle 4K by having it as a single block. This means switching off the default auto lap and using manual lap. In Garmin, you can set up a session in Garmin Connect if you use Garmin, or I'm sure the other brands have similar programs and functions. And then when you finish the session, check your average cadence for your average pace for the middle block. Now, this isn't going to be exact as I can't see you, I don't know your height or running form, but it should be a workable exercise or experiment, if you want to call it that. Now, if you've read any of the numerous articles on cadence, then you might notice the figure of 180 is used quite a lot. This came about from research by a renowned and very well-respected running coach, Jack Daniels. And before I go any further, I'd recommend you check out his book, Daniels Running Formula. And what I think of it, there are a few other good books that I'd recommend, including The Lord of Running by Tim Noakes. That will be my first purchase. The Science of Running by Steve Magnus. And for running plans, I would recommend Advanced Marathoning by Scott and Douglas. Now, getting back to Jack Daniels, he made an observation by looking at lots of different marathon runners finishing in lots of different marathons and noticed that 180 seemed to be a good average. Now, before we go any further, you need to remember that word average. So it's an average. It's not an exact. Um, we'll use that figure as a starting point. So if you're running more than 180 steps per minute and the step is each time your foot hits the ground, then that will be 90 steps each side. So if running more than 180 steps and let's say the, the pace is four minutes per kilometer, I'm using an even number for the example. So we'll say that we're using 180 as the average. Now we're going to use a higher cadence number, for example, which means taking more steps. So we'll say you're taking 190 steps as your average cadence for the four minute kilometer pace over four kilometers. Try then for the next session to reduce your cadence while still running at the same pace. So the next time you're going to do the same session, you try to reduce your cadence. We're running at the same pace, but the cadence is less. So how does that happen? Well, if you're not taking as many steps, but want to run at the same pace, then you need to increase your stride length. And this requires more strength. And if you don't have that strength, then this is how you get it. You are working on getting a specific adaption by imposing a specific demand. In order to increase your stride length, you will soon see that you have to pull your training leg harder off the ground so that pushes you further forward. So instead of you reaching out with your lead leg, you're pushing harder with your, with your rear leg so you're not overstriding. So the next time you're going to do that same session, you try to reduce your cadence. So that's a simple example of how you can get a specific adaption by imposing a demand. And the next time you're out training with some other runners, whether it be on the track or on the road, try and have a look at how your stride frequency is in comparison to theirs. If they seem to be running at a lower frequency than you are, maybe you could try and slot into what they're doing. And that in itself will actually help bring about these improvements. So how do you know if it is improving your running efficiency? Well, the first time you do this exercise where you isolate the 4K, and as we said, you're, we were using a cadence of 190 for the example, then have a look and see what your average heart rate was for that example. So if your heart rate was, 
we'll say 150 beats per minute. And the next time you go out, you're trying to reduce your running cadence to get it, it get your stride frequency that bit less. Ideally, your heart rate should start to reduce as well because you're if you're not taking as many steps, you you shouldn't be walking as hard. Now that can that might take time to happen because you will have to adapt to this new movement. The first time you do it, you'll be thinking about it a bit more and you might have to put a bit more effort into increasing your stride length by reducing the frequency and that will take time to build up that strength. But over the course of maybe three, four weeks, you should find that your average heart rate for that four kilometer block should start to reduce. So that's something to try out. Okay, I'll leave it at that now. I think that gives us enough to think about. I don't want to overcomplicate things, but hopefully that gives you a better understanding of the training principles and how you can apply them. And for the next episode, I have a few things in mind. I've been getting quite a few questions about 24-hour racing and ultra running, so I might touch on that. And I also want to talk about recovery at some stage. So if you liked this episode or any of the other episodes, you might consider leaving a review wherever you listen and you can share this with a friend and uh, yeah that's all for now hope you enjoyed and until next time